you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. All right, so we're going to dive right in this, into this. We've been going through 2 Timothy, asking the question, well, what does discipleship look like? Um, from the beginning, we learned that discipleship really isn't a program um, it's more uh, relational and it's very intentional in how we go. Every person should look for someone to mentor them and every person should also look for somebody that they can be a mentor to. And the idea is to help someone take the next step of faith or the next step of obedience with Jesus Christ. And then from there we learned that it looks like teamwork and multiplication. Uh, Justin provided a very good illustration of how fast discipleship can occur if we're all doing it together. So it's it's not just a few members of the church that are discipling. It should be the entire body of Christ that are at work doing that. Uh, and then Doug uh, reminded us that in the process we shouldn't get bogged down with stupid arguments and silly disputes and those sort of things, um, but to actually just focus on who Jesus Christ is and how we can make him known to one another and to this world around us. And then Matt reminded us that uh, it's easy for us to forget what Jesus saved us from. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see quite a description of the last days and what people will be like apart from Christ. So it's bringing us back to that square one, so to speak, of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, and then uh, Mark came and he talked to, about a, talked to us about endurance and that discipleship is a long haul process and we've got to stick with it and just keep going and keep going. And, uh, and then last week we talked a little bit about it's, it's doing our ministry isn't just doing necessarily work, it's more like an art. Uh, if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it's about a Scottish guy named Eric Little. <laughs> and he was going to be a missionary, but before he was a missionary, man, he was going to run in the Olympics. And he was a fascinating guy to watch him run because at some point he would just, he had the weirdest style. His head would go back, his arms would kind of go back. And they're like, what is going on? And he, and he explained that when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. And I thought, man, what a great description of what it means to really serve God. It's finding that that kind of sweet spot of feeling God's pleasure and just just flourishing in that. And so now we're we're getting to the end of it, and uh, I guess we're going to answer the question of what it looks like today with the, this message that I'm calling uh, Mark X's the spot, which is a play on X marks the spot, uh, because Mark uh, is an individual who got kind of knocked off his mark, <laughs> off of his spot, and uh, we're going to see what happened with that. So uh, I'm going to say today that discipleship sometimes looks a little bit like a whitewater rafting trip. So Joy, if you could put up that first slide there. Um, man, doesn't that look great? Let's go do that right now. I think we should plan a trip this summer and, uh, I don't know, witness to the, the raft guides. There, that's the guy in the blue helmet standing up in that, that first raft there. Now, where this comes from is about two years ago, my mom turned 80. And she came to me and she said, this is what I want to do for my 80th birthday. I want to go whitewater rafting. Okay? 
So it then fell upon me to gather the family together and uh, plan this trip and to go. And I did not end up in the raft with my mom. I, I'm in that first raft. I'm the first guy right up there looking a little terrified at what's coming. And uh, behind me is the raft with my mom. She's sitting dead center, just smiling like a goon through the whole thing. And she is flanked by my son and my big brother, who they are her protectors. Man, if she goes out of the raft, she's not even going to hit the water. They're going to make sure that she's she's okay. So uh, in this picture, everything just looks really great. We're just kind of sailing along, enjoying the sunshine, the cold water, and that kind of thing. But there was something coming, and the guy standing up in my raft is barking orders at us. Now, the other thing that's interesting about this is the first four guys right in front of him were his college buddies. Okay. They came that day to go down the river with this guy that they knew, and uh, Allie was with us, uh, my nephew was with me, and, and then of course I was in there. So there's this raft full of guys, and he was introducing everybody as we were hitting the quiet spot of the water, and uh, uh, when it got to Allie, he apologized to Allison for being the only girl in a raft load of stinky guys. Her response was, that's okay, somebody had to bring the muscle. <laughs> and then we hit this quiet spot in the in the in the river and these four guys decide to kind of play king of the mountain you know where you can pull the top dog down off the top and then you go up there yeah their goal was to knock their buddy out of the raft and it was hilarious to watch because i mean he's like some kind of a ninja up there he dodged them all and all four of those guys ended up in the water and then Allie had to demonstrate how you how you lift somebody out of the water into the raft. You know, she did it. Smallest person there. She's li- and these guys were just useless. All right, I'm just going to say that. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little worried now because I have some confidence in my nephew. I have some confidence in my daughter. And then the the, the gap behind us, filled with those four guys, I'm I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen next. And and now we're going to plunge into this this area. And this guy is barking at us telling us what to prepare for because this is a working raft. This is one of those things where you have to be in there and you have to be digging and you have to work together as a team and you have to listen to your your river guide. You know, and the river guides they're always cool. They're the guys that always show up, you know, when you're putting on your gear and everything and they're like, "Hey, all right, you're in my raft, huh? Ready to punch the dog?" <laughs> Uh, I thought I just came to go down a river. Do we have to hit a dog? And I like dogs. You know, but that's their term for you know going through the rough stuff. So we are, in this picture, about to punch the dog. Okay, Joey, let's go to the next one. There it is, the dog. And we're looking, man, that's like the, that's like the Iwo Jima statue there, isn't it? You know, we're all looking really good. And there, well, except for my nephew. He's, ah! <laughs> right there. But man, we, we got our paddles up. We're ready to, to dig in and do whatever he's gonna tell us to do, man. He's, he's, he's in charge. He's in control. And then we got those four useless guys. Uh, you know, all I'm thinking about this point is Allie's gonna have to pick them up out of the river again. Okay. Only this time they're going to be downstream from us, so we're going to have to catch up uh, with them. So here's here's the dog. The next picture. We're going down. <laughs> uh, uh, you can see my paddle. You can see my nephew's paddle. Allie with her flaming red hair is is still there. Our, our river guide is in the back. Man, he is working. He's making that raft go where it needs to go and hopefully not kill anybody in his raft while he does that. And, and those other four guys are just being useless. Okay? And then the next shot. 
raft. <laughs> I did not know you could sink a river raft. <laughs> but we did. At this point, we're underwater. All I knew is I was drinking a lot of the river at that point. I had no idea where Allie was. Uh, when we went under, I knew she was behind me. I didn't know where my nephew went. And I really didn't care about the four useless guys behind us. Okay, But believe me, I really did not want to lose the river guide. <laughs> and look, he's the only one actually staying above water through this whole thing. And you feel the force of the current and you think, this is it. This is where I go out of the raft. And then I have to try to remember all those instructions that they gave us that we're supposed to do when we fall out of the raft. And... Uh, I think the first one is don't panic. Well, that's what I was doing right about there as we were underwater. And uh, then comes the, uh, the aftermath. We came out of it okay. <laughs> I looked around. We were, we were still there. And you can see how wet we were from the water that is pouring out of the raft now. But notice our river guide. He is still barking at us. He's, you know, we're not done. He's, he's saying, keep going, keep digging. You've got a stroke. You've got to dig. And, and he is just, just going at it. And, and when I look at that, I think that's kind of what discipleship looks like. Um, it it kind of looks like a bunch of people going through a mess like that. And... Thank goodness Jesus is in the back of our raft. He's in the boat with us because he's the one that actually gets us through this. Because when it really comes down to it, uh, it wasn't just those four guys. All of us were pretty useless. You know, we, we could not have negotiated that part of the rapids that he took us through without him. We, we would have probably capsized the raft or something like that, and it would have been a ca- catastrophic thing. So, with that in mind, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 21, where it's really a difficult passage to preach because it's just a whole bunch of names. So here we go. Paul says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Oh, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so when I first looked at that, I, I thought, yeah, verses uh, right around verse 17 or maybe before that, it'd be really good to talk about. But something kept drawing me back to this list of names. There's, including Timothy, there's about 17 individuals that Paul talks about here. Um, it's 17 folks that, that he uh, brings up. Um, in fact, I didn't read the whole thing. Here's a couple that I missed. Uh, verse 19, he goes back to these people. Greet Prissa and, and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus. 
Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Uh, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Okay, and more names there. Just, whew. You know, what was up with all that? So I, I got to look, and, and really, in a lot of these people, this is the only time we ever get introduced to them. This is the first time we, we even get to, to hear some of their words. Demas was mentioned a couple times. Demas was once a faithful companion to Paul during uh, his first imprisonment, uh, but yet he deserted Paul and then went to Thessalonica with this, this description of he, he was more concerned about the here and now. Uh, than, than anything else. He kind of lost his eternal perspective. And that can happen in discipleship. You can be working with somebody and there suddenly the, everything about life seems to choke out the, the, the worries about the kingdom or the concerns about the kingdom and, and they just get sucked into what's going on in life. Uh, Demas might have been one of those guys that deserted Paul, as he mentioned earlier. And, and in chapter one, he talked about some people were ashamed of him for being a prisoner. Maybe Demas didn't like the picture of discipleship that meant you could end up in chains, that you might actually suffer for following Jesus Christ. And, and so Demas says, I don't think I want to sign up for that, so so I'm out of here. And then Crescens, he's mentioned in there. He's an assistant to Paul. He is believed to be one of the 70 disciples that, that Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10, I believe it was. Um, Crescens goes to Galatia. Galatia was a very interesting part of the Roman Empire at that time. It's where modern-day Turkey is now located. And a whole bunch of Celtic people came down out of Europe and settled into Galatia. A lot of them were mercenaries, were warrior types. So when you read the letter to the Galatians, that's that's who Paul Paul is talking to. He's talking to a bunch of Europeans, basically, uh, that have come to know Jesus Christ uh, there. And so Crescens is part of the ministry to that that bunch of people. Titus, we know a little bit about Titus because right if you turn the page right after Second Timothy, you're going to see a, a book that's entitled Titus, and and that's who uh, we're talking about here. Another faithful partner to Paul. He was with Paul and Barnabas when they went to the Jerusalem council. Um, he was sent by Paul to that troublesome Corinthian church. You might remember when we did our series for, through 1 Corinthians. Um, he went there to help stabilize and serve as Paul's representative in that city. And uh, tradition tells us he eventually became established as a bishop on the Isle of Crete, which was another troublesome location uh, to try to, to plant churches just because of the culture that was there. So he seems to be that bulldog kind of guy to tackle the real the real challenging issues. That's Titus. Uh, Luke, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke. Um, we know that he traveled with Paul throughout all of his missionaries. He kind of seems to be the, uh, the recorder, the chronicler of all of Paul's adventures. And Paul and Luke are the only ones left now while, while Paul's sitting in prison waiting for his uh, death sentence to be carried out. And then we're introduced to Tychicus and Trophimus, uh, who seem to have always traveled as a pair, assisting Paul. Uh, they even accompanied Titus on some of his various assignments. And then Trophimus... Uh, is apparently someone who struggled with health issues, so he stayed behind at Miletus while Tychicus went on to Ephesus. Boy, there's a lot of us's in, in that. Um, and perhaps his job was to relieve Timothy 
from his post in Ephesus so Timothy was free to then come and to visit Paul before Paul was uh, executed. And then uh, Carpus. We don't know anything at all about Carpus other than he was the caretaker of Paul's belongings. Uh, so he must have been a trustworthy sort of guy uh, to for Paul to have left his priceless books and parchments behind with him. And then Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is an intimation of Priscilla. Uh, these were a married couple, these two. And it's always interesting that Prisca, the girl, her name often is in front of the guy. So she's a little bit more predominant in her service and her work as she was along with Paul. They apparently were at that time serving in Ephesus. Uh, they are often mentioned in with some affection by Paul with his ministry. Uh, they helped to stabilize the Corinthian church and they were busy in discipling others like Apollos who was mighty in the scriptures. They were, they were uh, very... Um, instrumental in his growth as a Christian. And then he mentions Onesiphorus, uh, the household of Onesiphorus. That's the same Onesiphorus who's mentioned in chapter 1 who refreshed Paul. And it's possible that maybe his house was where the church met in the city of Ephesus where Timothy was. And then Erastus, we know, stayed behind to serve in Corinth uh, rather than to return to Ephesus, you know, because Corinth was a place that needed a lot of disciples to come in and help. And then we have Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. Maybe they're all family members along with others that are mentioned as the household. And apparently they were where the church met in Rome where Paul was at at that time. And then Alexander. All the rest were kind of listed as disciples of Paul, except for Alexander, who was an opponent, an adversary to Paul. All we know about him is that he's dangerous. He's shown himself to be a false teacher, that he opposed the message of the gospel. He was probably responsible for messing up the faith of other Christians. While Paul was trying to stabilize people, Alexander was destabilizing them. And it's quite possible that he's the same Alexander. It's a common name. uh, But Paul actually excommunicated an individual from uh, the early church uh, from that name. Might have been him. We don't know that for sure. And then there's John called Mark. Okay, He's the guy I want to look at today. He's a hard one to pin down. John Mark um, shows up in the Gospels. Uh, well, he doesn't really show up in the Gospels. But it's believed that John Mark was the one who wrote, as Peter dictated, the Gospel of Mark. So it's actually the Gospel of Peter uh, as recorded by this young man, John Mark. Peter seems to have been instrumental in John Mark's discipleship, but so was Paul and so was Barnabas. We believe that John Mark was probably 15 to 16 years old when the disciples and Jesus were meeting in the upper room. Okay, And it was in that upper room where the Last Supper uh, was held the night before Christ's crucifixion. Uh, it was John Mark's mother who owned that home where they used the upper room to assemble. So John Mark's mom was probably uh, a, a, an affluent person, we would, we would think. Her name was Mary. No, not that Mary, but another Mary, very common name uh, again back in those days. And it's believed that John Mark was never a disciple of Jesus Christ during that time. 
that he was more of a tag-along. It, it just happened to be an opportunity for him to hang out with Jesus and the disciples. So an interesting thing is, is when you read the Gospel of Mark, uh, there's a peculiar incident that's recorded in that Gospel, and it's when Jesus was arrested and all the disciples fled. Okay, And so there's this strange story about a young man who was there, he woke up in the night to follow the disciples to the garden, maybe out of curiosity or something, and he wrapped himself only in a sheet. Okay? So apparently he goes commando when he's sleeping. Alright? And it says that somebody grabbed his sheet and he fled without it. So some of us here are old enough to remember streaking. <laughs> that was a big thing back in the 70s, you know. Hey, I'll hold your clothes. If you run around the swimming pool in the nude, I'll pay you $50 to do that. Man, you had to make sure you found somebody that you know wouldn't run off with their clothes and actually had 50 bucks. But, you know, that's how streaking worked. It was a big deal back then. But apparently this guy was the first streaker in, in the Bible uh, that, that, that we know about. He just took off. And so we don't know this for sure, but a lot of scholars believe that it was John Mark. That, it, you know, he would have had the opportunity, that he was probably fell asleep during the Last Supper when everything was going on there. All the disciples and Jesus took off to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and John Mark's like, well, I'll go see what's going on with them. And uh, then it, it turns into this mob, and it turns into this, this dangerous situation, and everybody's leaving, everybody's, it's chaos, and then somebody grabs him, and he's like, I don't want to be arrested, I'm not even one of the followers, and so I'm just going to run naked back home. <laughs> Um, I'd like to believe it was him. I'd like to think that that's just probably part of his history, and that's probably why that story shows up in Peter's uh, gospel, because that's, that's Mark kind of inserting himself actually into the story. Go, yeah, yeah, I, I was there, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I was. <laughs> He was a relative of Barnabas. Barnabas was the discipler of Paul, the mentor of Paul. And so in Acts, you will see that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark went off on a missionary tour together. And then they came back to the Jerusalem Council where they had to settle the controversy about, you know, what does a Gentile have to do to become a Christian? Does he have to become a Jew and all that sort of thing? They got that all settled. The church said, all right, Barnabas, Paul, we want you to go back and continue the work of taking the gospel out into the, into the Roman Empire. And they said, okay, let's go. And, and Barnabas says, yeah, let's go. Mark, pack up. And Paul says, no, I'm, I'm not, no. We're not taking Mark with us. And Barnabas is like, dude, what's up? What, why, why are you dead set against this? And Paul says, remember the first missionary journey? And we were going to go into, I believe it was um, Antioch. And before we made that journey, Mark just deserts us. He's just, boom, he's out of there. He's unreliable. I don't want him on the team. And Barnabas is going, come on, man, I'm related to him. Let's give him a chance. And Paul's like, no, we're not going to do this. And Barnabas says, I think we should. And Paul's like, I don't think we ought to. And it says in the book of Acts that a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas, the mentor and the discipler. And it was all because of John Mark and something that happened in the past. Uh, And all we know is that he deserted the mission trip. He just said, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm done. I'm not going to do that. And that upset Paul so much that he says, I'm never taking him on another mission trip with me. I'm done with him. He's just one of those useless guys in the back of the raft. 
And Barnabas says, you know what? I still think there's something in him. So this, let's just do this, Paul. Find another partner. Maybe Silas. And you and Silas go one direction. And how about this? Mark and I will go another direction. And there, we've just doubled our, our influence. We have two missionary teams going out. And that's how they, that's how they decided to do it. Now again, I don't know exactly uh, what happened. Maybe Mark was homesick. I don't know. He would have been 30 years old at that point. It doesn't sound like homesickness would have been a a reason for him to to book. Um, Some say that maybe he got ill. But again, Paul being Paul, I don't think he would have been upset at Mark for getting sick. That just seems like a silly thing to, to get upset about. Um, it could be that maybe Mark being Hebrew was struggling because again, this was prior to the, uh, Jerusalem Council that he was struggling with the controversy about Gentiles coming to Christ and whether or not they were required to be circumcised. He might have disagreed with Paul about that, that approach. Um, some think that he did not like the shift in leadership because at this point we're seeing Barnabas being the guy in charge to Paul being the guy in charge. And that's kind of how discipleship works. The mentor has to kind of step back and let the, the disciple rise up. And then the, the mentor becomes the assistant to the disciple to help him succeed. And maybe Paul just did, got it, or I'm sorry, John Mark got his nose out of joint. Uh, because his his relative cousin probably was kind of being supplanted by Paul in his mind. Again, we don't know that for sure. Uh, most likely, he just did not want to risk crossing the Taurus Mountains on the way to Antioch because that territory was plagued with bandits and brigands. It was nuts to try to journey through there. And it could be that he's like, Paul, I just no, I I don't want to risk it. And Paul's just kind of like, oh, God's with us. You know, he, he delivers me out of the mouths of lions. We'll be fine. And, and, and Mark was probably going, I don't think so. I, I, this scares me. I don't think I'm going to go. I, I actually had a professor uh, who studies a lot of Greek spend two hours trying to convince us that it was a moral issue. That somewhere tucked away in the Greek, there's an indication here that Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. And I thought, that is the stupidest waste of time I've ever just went through. Two hours of determining whether Paul was right or Barnabas was right. Who cares? All we know is he disagreed and they split up. It doesn't have anything to do with the gospel or salvation over which one was right and which one was wrong. All we know is that Mark just said, I'm not going. And that was enough for Paul to later on say, then you're never coming with me again. You're done. Okay, that's the main thing I have, I think that we have to focus on here. So, here's this, this crazy awkward mess. Like I said, discipleship kind of looks like that rafting trip where everything's just going to pieces and, and that, and, and we probably think, wow, what a, that's too bad. I used to always read that section in Acts about Barnabas and Paul splitting up, and I always felt bad, and I kind of felt bad for John Mark, too. Um, if you look in your bulletin there, there's a little quotation there from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> One of my heroes. <laughs> Piglet was so excited at the idea of being useful that he forgot to be frightened anymore. I had to go back and find out which story that was from. But as I, when I saw that quote, it made me think about, well, what is it that really inhibits us from moving forward into, into discipleship or moving forward into a deeper walk with Christ, moving forward into obedience? And, and the answer is usually always fear. 
There, there's something that we get a, we, we get a scared of. Yeah, that sounds like Piglet. Uh, something that we get afraid of, and, and it slows us down. I, again, I don't know exactly what stopped John Mark, but my bet is there was some kind of fear that prevented him from taking the rest of the journey with uh, Paul and with Barnabas. And maybe that made him feel like the most useless individual ever. Uh, I, I can't help but think that when Paul said, I don't want to take John Mark with us, that if John Mark was present when that happened or when he heard about that, that that had to be just a kick in the gut to him. And he probably felt totally useless. And I, I think that happens to us sometimes as Christians. I, I think that sometimes in our walk with God, we might just feel like, well, what good am I, Really? I mean, man, last week you talked about finding my art and going out and doing that thing that God has specifically created me for so that I can, and I just, I'm not sure what that is. I Maybe you I tried that and it blew up in my face. Or I just don't know what it is. And so I, I see other people, they seem to have a clear picture of what God wants them to do, but I'm just kind of like, I don't know. And And so that's very common for us in that situation to say what use am I? What good am I uh, to the kingdom of God? Well when Paul wrote this letter John Mark would have been about 47 years old at the time of this writing. That would have been the same age that Paul was when John Mark deserted him. So I find that interesting that we find these guys at a common age, so to speak. And in this letter, we see Paul saying to Timothy, 17 years after the abandonment, bring John Mark with you, Timothy, when you come. Grab my cloak, grab my books, my parchments from from Carpus, but especially bring John Mark because he has shown himself to be useful to me in ministry. And I looked up that word useful, and in the Greek it means that it was it was very easy for John Mark to be profitable to the service of Paul's ministry. It wasn't a labor, it wasn't stressful, it wasn't difficult. He just fit like a glove with what Paul was doing, and it was a good thing. And just like we don't know, well, what happened to make Timothy, or I'm sorry, to make John Mark leave Paul, what happened that made Paul and John Mark come back together? Because apparently there was this clear reconciliation that occurs between the time of the desertion to just prior to Paul's death. Um, I think a quick glance at Philemon will help us do that. If you just flip a couple pages right past Titus is a tiny little book. One, one chapter, 25 verses. Uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon who was a member of the church in Colossae. And the reason he's writing to him is because Philemon had a, a bond servant that left him, that just deserted him. Does that sound familiar? He, for whatever reason, Onesimus was his name. Uh, Onesimus just got up and left Philemon's household. Now, strange thing, it's funny how God works. He's, he's in control. Like I said, he's in the boat, getting us through the rapids. Onesimus ends up getting put in jail. 
He gets put in prison. And guess who he gets locked up with? The Apostle Paul. Okay, And so, guess what Paul does? Well, I've got a captive audience here. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And he does. And Onesimus becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. And then, Onesimus gets released. And Paul says, look, Onesimus, I have a, I have a job for you. I would like for you to deliver a letter for me. Can you do that? And Onesimus is like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Uh, and Paul says, all right, I want you to deliver this letter to Philemon. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be awkward. And Paul's like, don't worry, don't worry. I've got things all explained in this letter to to Philemon. Yeah, he's probably mad at you. He's probably disappointed. He probably doesn't want to see you, but I've got some things in this letter here. And I'm just going to read just a a quick portion. I'm going to skip chapter 1 through 3 because it's Paul's uh, greeting to Philemon. Uh, And he says this in verse 4. Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Okay, so Philemon, you're a great guy, man. I love you because you love God and you love other people. You love especially fellow Christians. And he's setting him up here. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Uh, I, I like it. Paul's actually buttering this guy up here. He's just setting him for this thing. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. And that's that's a, an indication that Paul led Onesimus to Christ, uh, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful uh, Paul writing this, this letter to help Philemon and Onesimus reconcile? This is interesting. Go all the way to the end of Philemon down to verse 23 where Paul does the same thing that he does in a lot of his letters. He says, hey, I got some other people that want to say hello here. And he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, who hadn't run away yet, and Luke, my fellow workers. Right there we know that Mark was a fellow worker of Paul again. Do you think that when he was writing to Philemon to take Onesimus back, as one who was once useless but is now useful, once who was once just a servant but now is more than a servant but a brother, 
that Paul, as he was writing that, was looking directly over at Mark. So again, I don't know what happened. And I don't have time to sit in a two-hour Greek lesson to have somebody try to explain it to me. All I know is that Mark, who was once departed from Paul, useless to him, is now a fellow worker, and as Paul said to Timothy, very useful for the ministry. It could be that Barnabas was a good influence on John Mark. It could be that while John Mark was teamed up with Peter, Simon Peter, that that Simon Peter picked up the reins and started pouring his life into John Mark. But something happened that caused John Mark and Paul to be back on the same team again, and Paul was delighted. Boy, what a lesson for us. Because how easy it is for us to write people off. Or how easy it is for us to feel like we've been written off by somebody else. Because that's what discipleship looks like. You see, uh, disciples fail. Mentors fail. You fail. I fail. But Jesus never does. Jesus never fails. And he's with us all through the whole process. So I guess the big idea in this is is just simply this, is that discipleship is not a tidy endeavor. Spiritual growth isn't this cool little chart that just goes up with little drops every once in a while. It's just all over the place. Okay, It's more than a happy little accident. It's, it's a catastrophe at times. And, and it might look like there's no coming back from it. It might look like the raft is completely underwater. But you see, discipleship is us all being in the same boat with Jesus. And though we fumble and stumble and sometimes sink, Jesus gets us through it. Jesus never fails, even when we do. So, this is what I'd say. Wherever you're at in the process of discipleship as a Christian, just keep digging your paddle in. Just keep digging your paddle in. And you might be surprised who you find on your team as we keep moving forward for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Paul's horrible, bad, awful, messed up day with John Mark. Thank you that that got recorded in Scripture so that we would know that that even Paul, who we would think is the champion of Christians, the discipler of disciples, who had it all right, all that, he didn't. He had bad days. And John Mark apparently had some rough days too especially if he was the guy that ended up running naked out of the Garden of Gethsemane not something you want to put down in a resume but I don't think he'd want to put down in a resume that yeah Paul kicked me off his missionary team Lord a lot of us maybe we've been kicked around maybe some of us have been kicked off Uh, maybe some of us are just in the the swamping of the boat trying to figure out where we're at. Um, Lord, help us to remember that 
When everything seems out of control to us, that you are still in control. And Lord, it's even possible that, that, that there could be some that think, well, I could never, ever even begin being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why would he want someone like me on his team? But Lord, when we look at the scriptures, he, he welcomed all kinds of mess-ups to his team. Misfits. Failures. Goofballs. Once useless. Lord, thank you that your heart towards us is to transform our lives and to make us into something useful for your kingdom. Lord, maybe some of us are just afraid. We're just afraid to take that next step of following you. Well, Lord, would you do for us what happened to Piglet? Would you help us to see that you find us useful for your kingdom? And not by any of our own merit or doing, but by everything that you pour into us through your love and grace? And may that usefulness cause our fear to subside. And may we go out and do something in your name. Something for your kingdom that will bring some good to this world. Because, oh, Lord, this world needs it. So, Lord, find us not fearful, but faithful. Find us ready to follow you as a team through the process of discipleship until that day you come back. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.